All right, well, if you're not already there, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Good to worship with you all this morning. Struck by that last song, very familiar song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Amazing that we're singing that to God, you know, the God who is triune, the God who is eternal, the God who genuinely is holy. If we were to see him as he is, that's what we would say. And uh, so it's just wonderful to sing that truth this morning, to get our hearts right before him. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And then we'll look at some of these terms the Lord gives us. Chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, these words just, they just, all of them drip with Love. They drip with humility. Um, Lord, they drip with your character, all these things. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would make them ours, that you would make them who we are. Lord, these words are to be descriptors of your people. And so, Father, we just pray that whatever it takes to help us to exemplify these things for your glory and for the good of the, the brethren here, that you would do it. Lord, if there, are, is there, if there is pride in our midst, Lord, that you would remove it. Um, Lord, if there was coldness in our midst, that you would please just, um, Lord, just, just soften and warm um, by the gospel, by who you are, um, by a revelation of who we are, apart from you and in you. Um, Lord, whatever we need this morning, Father, we just pray that you would do that. Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would be that one to come and expose. Uh, Lord, we need your light. Apart from you, we can't see a thing. Um, But Lord, with you, we can have your word unfolded to us. And Lord, we can um, delight in you. We can taste and see you are good. And and, and we can taste and see what we need from you. And Lord, again, we just pray that you would do this. Please do this for us, that you might be the one continuing to build the house here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Peter 3, 8. Peter is bringing things... To something, of a, to something of a sort of a summary statement. He's wanting us to, to have a takeaway based on what he said prior to this point. I'm not going to go all over that again. But he's reached this point where he's wanting to give us a takeaway. And he's given us, at least in verse 8, these five wonderful terms. Harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And I wanted to take a little bit of time just to focus on these terms. Um, because... If Peter wants us to take these things away, then these things, I think, need to be focused on. Um, I think we need to spend a little bit of time on them. And the terms we're going to look at today, it might seem a little strange, but we're going to look at the second and the fourth term. We're going to look at sympathy and we're going to look at kind-heartedness. Sympathy and kind-heartedness. Part of the reason I do that is because I've, I've noticed, and, and, I've, and it's even in the commentators, that This could be a chiasm here, chiasm just being sort of a literary device that has a term in the middle that's sort of the the hub of the ideas that float around it, and the ideas on either, the the term in the middle here is brotherly, and the ideas around it would be sympathetic, harmonious, and on the other side, kind-hearted and humble in spirit. Brotherly is the one that sort of keeps it together. And that very well could be true. I I honestly don't know uh, fully, and part of the reason I don't know is because Chapter verse divisions weren't there in the original, and the sentence keeps going on saying I'm not returning evil for evil. So I don't know, maybe commentators know something I don't, but I do think there is something to the fact that brotherhood finds itself in the middle of these, uh, of these five terms. And so I want to take the term on either side of brotherhood, sympathy and kind-heartedness, because they're actually very similar terms. Um, certainly they have some distinctions, but they have some similarities too. And here's what I want to do just to start off. I want you to think about a text with me in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there, but I just want you to think about it with me. Isaiah 63, 9. Just listen to this. 
This is speaking of the Lord himself as, as the writer is reflecting on God's loving kindness and his dealings with Old Testament Israel, especially when they were in Egypt in slavery. Isaiah reflecting on this says this, in all their affliction, that is the children of Israel's affliction, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. That is, God was afflicted. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. It's quite a statement about the character of God, isn't it? It's quite a statement about his heart. It's quite a statement about who he is. But it says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. See, this affliction that the Lord had caused him to move. It, it pushed him. It pushed him to meet need. It pushed him to rescue. It pushed him to save. And it started with his heart. This text reminds us that the plight of the human condition is not lost on the Lord. Isaiah records that when the Lord looked at Israel in bondage of slavery, he did not look with indifference, he did not look with coldness. He didn't even just think, well, that's a shame. Move on about his day. When he saw their oppression, his very soul, the, the center of his being, was afflicted. I wonder if that's the way we look at the world. hard to have a heart, isn't it? It's really hard to have a heart. It's easier to not have a heart. It's easier to just sort of let people go their own way and fall off a cliff on their own. That's not God's heart. God's not a piece of granite in the sky, as we say here from time to time. Not a big piece of marble. He's a God who's affected by the treatment of his people. He's a God whose emotional state, if I can say it that way, is tethered to his creation. If his creation falls into sin, God's heart plummets. In grief and in anger. But please understand this about the living God. While there's lots of discussions about his impassibility and immutability and all these things, yes, certainly the Lord doesn't change in terms of his purposes, but God is absolutely 100% affected by the sin of his creation. By the oppression that that, that, that weighs us down. The oppression of our own sin, the oppression, the oppression of the enemy, the oppression of evil men upon us. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Now, why do I say this? I say this because, firstly, as we are in the image of God, we are to reflect him emotionally at some level. And we do, right? I mean, our hearts, we have concern for those closest to us. When they are going through trials, if they're part of our family, we, we feel that. But more than that, as Christians, as people that have been created new in Jesus Christ, and we are taking even sort of a, a restored image, I guess you could say. An image that's even more accurate to the Lord's own character and nature now in Jesus Christ. And so what we need to understand is that if, if God is afflicted when he sees oppression and sin and slavery to sin, if God is affected, then we must also be affected as well. We are to be a feeling people. I know that might sound, I don't know, a little subjective. And I kind of mean it to be. We are to be a people that have heartfelt sensitivity to the conditions of our fellow image bearers, and in particular here to our fellow brethren. Now, what I mean by, what I don't mean by being a feeling people is I don't mean that we're to be driven by our emotion in terms of making our final decisions or we, we let feelings move us away from object, objectivity. That's not what I mean. What I mean, though, is that we are to be a people who have genuine, heartfelt sensitivity to how well, to how well each one in the body is doing, whether healthy or unhealthy. These terms for sympathy and kind-heartedness will not allow us to be superficial in our relationships with one another. They won't allow that. <laughs> there is a depth here that we must grasp. There is a depth here that we must have, a depth of emotion, a heartfelt sensitivity to one another. 
God is a God who feels. We must be people who feel. We, we are to be people who share in the sufferings and the joys of one another from the heart. And that's what Peter is getting at. This is Peter's vision of a church. Peter's vision of a church is not a bunch of people who show up to listen to a man for a little while and then go home and do their thing. They are a body of people integrally connected so that if one suffers, they all suffer. If one rejoices, there's much joy. And so in a body, you can sort of see this this sort of trajectory that can be up and down and up and down, and it's because we're tightly connected to one another. And this is, I think, how Peter sees us. He sees us as people that are so tightly connected to one another that when we suffer, others suffer. Now, the term sympathetic, which is where we'll start with, the term sympathetic um, comes from the term sumpasco, which means to suffer with someone or to suffer alongside of is the idea. Sumpasco. The root is pascal from where we derive the idea of passion or suffering. So Jesus is said to suffer. This is the term, pasco. He suffers being beaten, being scourged, being whipped, suffering the wrath of his father. The inward pain Jesus experiences in these moments is that term, pasco. It's that heartfelt pain he feels. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. So, That's the term for Pasco, it's suffering. So when you add the prefix soon to it, it takes on the idea of of suffering with someone because they're suffering. So, So this term sympathetic this term sympathetic is we are sort of in the realm of sincerity, affection, compassion with our fellow brothers and sisters. One lexicon said this, this word means having a fellow feeling, compassion, suffering, or feeling the like with another. You feel what they feel. That's the idea. You feel what they feel. That idea is that someone's going through something hard. Something painful, something emotionally strenuous and it and it causes the measure of suffering to them and the member of the body comes along and suffers alongside this person in this trial so i'm going to go through some passages that highlight this from just different angles <clears throat> romans 12:15 romans 12 such a watershed passage with regard to the body one of the strongest in the new testament we don't have time to go through all of it, but just this one verse, just listen to this verse in, in, in the context of lots of other wonderful verses about who we are to be at the body, having sound minds, understanding our giftings and giving diligence to, 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 to water and fertilize these giftings and use these giftings, and going on to talking about love being without hypocrisy and all these wonderful things that we do adopt. Paul says, and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice. With those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This verse is so interesting to me. We, we talk about it a lot, but you know, as you preach, you get to think th- about things a little deeper. But, but it's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's Paul exhorting the Christians in Rome, as well as us this morning, to enter into the joys and sorrows of others such that your joy and your sorrow is directly tied to their sorrow or joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Have a heart like Jesus Christ who feels the plight of those around him. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But what does it communicate with some, to someone when you rejoice in their joy? You know, they give you great news or the Lord has done something in their lives what does it do to them if you're sitting there and they're telling you these things and you're kind of looking off to the right or to the left and you're just like, oh yeah? What does that, what does that communicate to the individual? <laughs> or what does it communicate to them when they're, when they're, when they're grieved and they're, they're, their guts are wrenched from trial and again you just kind of look at them like, oh man, that's really tough. But you can tell that that person just kind of wants to leave. I mean, 
That's not what Paul's after. Paul is after that, that same person that's rejoicing and what the Lord has done. You're there just being like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. It's a validation, isn't it? It's a, it's a sense that they matter and that this really matters. It's not so much about self-esteem. It's just the reality that we all need to know that before God we matter. <laughs> and that the things that he does in our lives are, are, are real and true and noteworthy. Paul is saying rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Help them to understand that their trials aren't lost on you. Their griefs aren't lost on you. What kind of... This, this speaks to so much about who we are as a body. We are not here for... I am not here today for me. I'm here today for you. And in the body of Christ, we must understand we are here for one another. If you go through life thinking that it's all about how people are treating you, you will not understand this passage at all. And you will not understand what sympathy is all about and kind-heartedness. You will just continue to be isolated and, and just and just sort of tucked away, evaluating and judging others, right? That's not this passage. This passage is enter into people's suffering, enter into people's joys. That's what Paul's after here. Now, it's hard. As Americans, we, we live in a soundbite culture, right? We, we want to get away to our phones to, to watch the next soundbite. We, we're eager to go to a screen. Not very conducive for relationships, even other countries, people who come here from third world countries who, who, who aren't even Christians come here and find our individualism uh, shocking at times. And we are. And we can be that way as a church. Very individualistic. We can. I think, I think you and we all here, thankfully over time, we know better. We don't do it perfectly, but at least I think oftentimes we know what we're swinging at. But we live in a soundbite culture, a screen culture, a fast food culture, a private and individualistic culture, and we have a lot against us to try to, to try to foster this attitude of sympathy, of feeling with others. But the thing is, when, when we got saved, the Spirit of God came in us, changed us, gave us the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. He is the Spirit of Christ, after all. And he makes us a part of his family. And now, because he's adopted us into his family, we, we no longer have this right to be Lone Ranger Christians or individualistic in our thinking. We are to understand that we are brought into a body and we are to understand that people have needs within this body and we are there to help them through. Now listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. The Apostle Paul, mighty Apostle Paul, finds himself at times weak, finds himself in times of intense grief. Whatever your mindset is about Paul whenever you think about him, you have to understand that Paul had a massive heart, huge heart. can't read the book of Philippians without seeing Paul's heart everywhere. I just, just his language, just, I think it was last week we were talking about UD and Syntyche and I didn't read verse 1 there, I don't think, where Paul calls the church there, my beloved. I mean, he says my beloved over and over, my beloved. I mean, I'm just thinking, can I talk that way to you guys? Are you my beloved? You know, this is the way the Lord thinks of us. This is the way the Lord thinks about it. who we are. We are loved by God. We, are, we should be loved by one another. Paul has a massive heart. And listen to what he says. He says, who is weak without my being weak? Think of that. Paul sees someone in the body genuinely struggling along. Barely able to lift their heads, as it were, when they're with the body because they've got something so burdensome upon them and he's like, it makes me burdened. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Literally burning, the text says. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? This is how we have to be with one another. This is the heart of the Lord Jesus. We can't peop let people in our body go on living a certain way, not because we, we, we're trying to have this church that's perfect in the eyes of men. We're doing it because we want people to walk in a manner well-pleasing to the Lord. We want to do it because sin is a grief to the Lord. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into into sin without my intense burning. 
Paul's greatly alarmed when sin occurs. It's not a small thing to him. Not a small thing. Ask yourself this question. Do you care about how your brethren are doing spiritually? Does it matter to you? If someone sitting in front of you, the row in front of you, if you found out that they were in sin, what would you think? Oh, that's somebody else's problem. (laughs) That's not Paul. He sees himself as connected to the body, and if he finds out about it, it is his issue at some level. 1 Corinthians 12, 21-27. Paul here writing to a church that is making the gifts sort of an end in themselves rather than seeing that the gifts are actually for the good of the saints. This whole passage in 1 Corinthians 12 isn't even so much about identifying your particular gift. It's just to say that, if you, the fact, it's just to say that you do have gifts and whatever they are, they're for others and therefore they're good. And that each one in the body has gifts and each one are vital. Not one is unnecessary. Not one. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, to the, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. See, caring for one another is vital for the Lord. You may come here and you may not be used to people prying in your life that much, But that's actually, at, at some level, now with wisdom intact and, 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 and no judgmentalism and that kind of thing, that's what we're supposed to be doing with one another. We're supposed to be in each other's lives, always with a heart of goodwill for the other, so that people are cared for. And especially here, those who seem less presentable, those who seem less honorable, the ones that are sort of on the peripheral. We want to make sure that we give more abundant honor to them so that all people have the same care. And then Paul ends with this. And if one member suffers, that's our term, Pasco, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So Paul here in this text, he's using the, the, body, the, the, the imagery of the body to describe the fact that each Christian is vitally connected to each other, all needed for, their, for its own health and flourishing. I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Hand can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. Each one, different function, different role for the good of the body. Don't think because you do this ministry, everybody else is supposed to do this ministry. And don't think because you do this ministry, but this one over here seems really great and big, that yours doesn't matter. Right? All of that, Paul will have none of it. Everyone has a role and a function. Now, if you're not doing anything and you're apathetic and you're lethargic and you're, and you're lukewarm and you're not being useful to the Lord, then that's a problem, right? But whatever you're doing, if you're doing it in faith for the good of the body and for the salvation of sinners, well, that's, that's wonderful. And Paul says it's all vital. It's all necessary. It's a body. A body of parts Connected together. This is Paul's concept of the church. The church is not a business. It's not a club that you visit from time to time. It's an organic body of people, individual roles and functions. Each one sorrows and joys felt and experienced by every other member of the body. If one suffers, we all suffer. That's the idea. We should be that close. The other night, Paige and I were sitting there in the living room and uh, <laughs> and uh, she doesn't know I'm going to talk about this um, 
But she was sitting there, and we were just about to have Bible time or whatever. And I saw her feet up on the ottoman. She had her there was she had her socks on, but there's just one little toe sticking out of the middle of her socks. And I was just like, "Is that your sock or is that a toe?" And it's like, "Babe, you got holes in your socks. I need to." I, I do provide you know things for my wife. Um, apparently, she needs to get some new socks. But anyway. But there was this little toe sticking out, and she was just like, it hurts me so bad. It's so cold. <laughs> and so, so her whole body is taken up in the ministry now, taking a blanket and putting it over that little toe. But it was just, it was just, it was just, it was just sort of funny, but it also just reminded me that this imagery that Paul uses here, it's really profound. Because there's not one little aspect of us, in terms of our physical makeup, that if it's if it's hurt, or if it's cold, that the rest of our body doesn't feel that. We, we feel it. We feel it. It's uncomfortable. There was this gnawing pain way down there in the, the tip of her little itty-bitty toe, and it went throughout the rest of her whole body. Or how many of you guys, maybe girls, I don't know too, have hit your, hum, your thumb when hammering? Right? Especially when it's cold out, that's the worst. You know, if you hit your thumb when you're hammering, you don't just think, oh, that's interesting. You don't. That's a lot of the church in America. Oh, that's too bad. Better not be us. No, when you hit your thumb, your mouth has something to say. Your teeth are gritting. Maybe your back hunches over. Maybe your arm is engaged in throwing that hammer. Never done that. It affects your whole body when one gets hurt, one member. This is Paul's idea of the church. We must understand our connection is real and must be expressed in living as we really are. Members of the body of Christ. If you're a thumb and you get hurt, and let's say I'm a hand, then I'm going to come and bring some comfort to you, some compassion when you're hurt. It's instinctive with our physical bodies. It's instinctive. It's instinctive for Paige to pick up the blanket and put it on her little toe. Right? It's instinctive for if I hit my thumb to, to bring my whole body around it to, to ease the pain. This is the body of Christ. And again, this assumes you know one another. Superficial relationships won't work in 1 Peter or the New Testament. It assumes you're letting us in on your struggles, and this assumes that members of the body have love and concern to come alongside and help one through. So consider our connection to one another. Consider that. Think through it. Do you realize that you personally are vital? You may not think that. You may not think that for some reason here. But you are. Are you seeking to integrate with the brethren so that they might receive from you and you might receive from them? Are you seeking to integrate with the body that they might receive from you and you might receive from them. When is the last time you've sympathized with the struggles of someone at New Covenant? When's the last time you've felt what they felt? Again, it's easy to just kind of go home and forget about everybody, isn't it? But that's not what we're here for. And it's not that we end up, you know, we don't, we don't fabricate cry sessions, right? That's not what this is. That this is not a place that's just you know, nothing but needless therapy. That's not what we're after here. But the reality is life is hard. <laughs> the reality is we are in a war after all. And in war there are a lot of lows. There is a lot of pain. There is a need for Endurance. And we help each other along. So when's the last time you've come along someone and shared in their hardship? It may be that, that you do, and you do integrate, 
and there just happen to be no acute struggles you know of right now. Or it may be that you're just comfortable not knowing anyone. Brethren, you can't suffer with others if you don't know them. And these suffering ones need you to help them through these trials. Sympathy in our culture, it, it can be different, or it can be difficult um, as, for, for another reason, though, in America in specific, this whole idea of sympathy, uh, because we're in a, a culture of victimhood, too, right? We're in this culture where everybody, um, or so many people, I should say, especially from a certain age group down, feel like they're victims. Maybe it's because of their skin color, maybe it's because of their sexual orientation, whatever it is, but they feel like they're victims just by virtue of existing in whatever demographic they find themselves. We have rioting in the streets simply because people feel justified to throw a tantrum because of perceived offenses that aren't even real. They want some sort of sympathy. They, they want to feel justified in what they're doing. We live in a very victimized mindset in America. It's so strong that it's common now to express some amount of suffering um, or, or just try to yeah, express some amount of suffering or victimhood as a badge of honor. A, a way that, in a way that sort of gives you, give you, gives you uh, moral authority. Right? If you're a victim, then you can truly speak. Nobody else can. They have to shut up. That doesn't belong in the church of Jesus Christ. That does not belong in the Christian ministry at all. No skin color, no, no background, no experiences gives you any moral authority. It's the word of God that gives you the authority. But we live in this culture of just victimization. But the, the victim mindset has no place in the church of Jesus Christ. God has treated us far greater than our sins deserve. No matter what we've gone through or are going through. The Lord flat out tells us, don't grumble and complain. Period. <laughs> Philippians. Need to work on that. Some amount of suffering that Christians experience need to be weighed against reality. Right? I mean, you may very well have a hard job, but be thankful you got a job. May not be that way in a year or two. If you're a mom, it's, it's extremely hard, but be thankful you're able to have children. Right? Many moms are not. But on the other hand, just because we sort of live in a snowflake bratty culture, it doesn't mean that our trials and the suffering that we genuinely have is invalid. Right? Far from it. It's, it's not wrong to seek prayer for difficult work situations. Again, I mean, jobs can be very challenging. Very challenging. Especially if you get unreasonable bosses. That can be hard. Thankfully, I don't have that. But I know a lot of people who do. It's not wrong to seek prayer and sympathy for the ongoing challenges of motherhood. Right? Because it is grueling. Parenting is grueling. It's one of the hardest jobs there is. So we can't let the snowflake culture turn us sour. We can't swing to the other way to, while we're, to now we're completely unfeeling, period. Oh, grow up. Right? That's not where we need to be either. That's not where we need to be either. Some brethren have real physical struggles that hinder them. We should come alongside them, pray for them, remind them they can still serve the Lord through their trial. Right? They can always pray. They can always intercede for their brethren at least. Some are in trials of spiritual warfare. Trials of spiritual warfare are very hard. Sometimes it's hard to make sense out of where you are on a map. <laughs> you know? You get caught in your mind and introspection and sometimes the Lord is just 
I don't know, he's allowing Satan to buffet you, to bring you to this place where you just, you need someone else to come alongside and speak truth to you. But the bottom line is we cannot lose our heart with each other. We cannot lose our hearts with each other. The older moms that have gone through a measure of child rearing can't look at the new moms that are really struggling as if their struggles aren't real because it is hard. People ask me all the time, which, which kid was the hardest for you? And I say the first one. It's the first one for me anyway. I don't know what it is for Paige. I mean, because you, I mean, yeah, you lose all your freedom like a matter of seconds. And, and there you go. And I think, that, I think that we need to understand that it's tempting when you've come through things in life to forget that you were once there too. Right. <laughs> Steve said something one time. I can't remember. I think I was... I wish I could remember the circumstance. I don't even remember the circumstance, but the phrase always stuck with me. And he said, puppy, puppy love is real to puppies. And what he's trying to say is, is that, and I think about this with my own children, you know, the struggles and the, and the, the trials and things that they go through, whatever they are, some of them are pretty much invalid, but some of them aren't. And we need to recognize, we need to recognize that though this particular thing might, and there in a pool of tears, may seem absolutely ridiculous to us, it's real to them. And of course, as parent, you're, 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 you're wanting to mature those emotions and everything else, but also you can't, have a, you can't always have a heart that just says, oh, come on. It's tempting. It's tempting. But, but you have to be careful. You have to be careful where, where people are at. Let me also say, say this about sympathy. Sympathy doesn't mean that you let someone vent their anger at the Lord without reproving it. Think of Job. Job goes through agony. Agony that you and I, I would say for the most part, can't fathom. Losing all his possessions, family and health, in a very short amount of time. And then on top of that, he suffers the wrongful accusation of his friends, bringing accusation upon him. That was arguably probably the worst for him, to have his character maligned by these supposed friends. Some of you have lived with that, right? Living with that sense that they all think that you're evil, you're looking for evil in yourself, or something you've done, you can't find it, but you have to live with that arrow in your heart. Well, that's Job. Job had to live with this, and he started to squirm, and then he started to bring God in the dock. God, you're the one who's making my life this hard. Come down here and show these men that I'm innocent. Job began to challenge God, and Job crossed a line. Job crossed a line. And while God certainly sympathized with Job's angst, God ends up bringing Job to repentance because Job was assigning wrongdoing to the Lord. God calls Job a fault finder. Brethren, God doesn't do anything wrong. Not ever. Every sinner who will land in the lake of fire should be there. He will do nothing wrong ever. Every decision he makes for our country right now, ultimately, is right in terms of his plans for history. But Job had to come to a place of repentance. And I'm not saying that if someone is genuinely in heartbreak and and voicing real frustration at the Lord, you sort of clobber them with, stop right there and repent. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Don't, Don't take me that way. But in wisdom, we need to remind people with whatever suffering they endure, God is good. He does no wrong. And as Dave said at the beginning... If you ever doubt his goodness, you need to measure it by the cross always, where God himself suffers. 
And of course, there's so much purpose in suffering as well. Those are just some of my reflections on sympathy. Galatians 6.2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Law of Christ is a, a topic of a lot of discussion. What is it? Much has been written on it. Well, here it is in Galatians 6.2. The law of Christ is the principle of love and fulfilled in bearing one another's burdens. Here's someone who's got a burden. They're carrying. It's heavy. It's causing them to run slow. It's causing them to be in heartache. And we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Well, he would come along and he would bear that burden with them. That's the law of Christ, at least here in Galatians 6. The law of Christ is the principle of love. It's loving like he loved. It's love that causes him to bear our greatest burden on the cross. And in that same paradigm, we're to come alongside one another and bear each other's burdens. And we fulfill the law of Christ. When we do this, think of this, when we do this, Jesus is like, they're fulfilling what I saved them for. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now you don't think that, right? I mean, you think it's got to be some mission effort of church planning here that fulfills the law of Christ. And I'm not denigrating that, but here it's as simple as bearing others' burdens. That's profound. You, you, need to, you need to understand the big, what the big things are to the Lord. How vital we each are to Him and to one another. He is so impacted with our own heaviness. Matter of fact, He tells us what? To come cast our burdens on Him. Come cast our anxieties on Him. That is my, that's probably been my favorite text for about 10 years. For lots of reasons. But the fact that he would want my anxieties. So thankful for that. Because sometimes with your anxieties, you get to the point to where you're like, what like Shailen says in that song, you know, I want to file a complaint, but I got no one to tell. Right? But you do. Lord, you can tell him. Romans 15.3 Paul says, Now we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Do we have any weak people here in our church? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, weak at this point. Then we're to come alongside and bear the infirmities. We're not to please ourselves. Paul says, let each one of us please his neighbor for that which is good unto edification. For Christ also pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them. That reproached thee fell upon me. Christ's reproach-bearing work on the cross is again a paradigm for us. His selflessness is a paradigm. We must help the weak so they don't bear their hardships alone like Jesus. Not to point our brother out, but our brother Andrew's got some physical stuff he's been trying to work through for the last few years. At times he feels weak. I was so thankful we were able to help bring him here so that we could sort of be together with him and we all, we all in this together but so that we can help him with some of his physical difficulties. And Andrew in turn prays for us. He sends us encouraging messages. He, he does what he can but this is what it is. It's, it's, it's bearing with one another. It's in bearing the infirmities of the weak. We don't want to just please ourselves. We're not here to just live comfortable lives. And this is the mind of Christ, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when we're in times of need, and we need an ear to listen to our sorrows, the Lord Jesus is there. The Lord Jesus is there. When we tell him, Lord, this is so hard. This is so grueling. This is so hard. What do you, what do you think you get from Jesus? Well, if you have tears, do you think he has tears? Maybe he does. He tells us to weep with them that weep. Certainly he probably does. Think of that. That should push you and compel you to come to Jesus, shouldn't it? It should, it should compel you to come to him with your trials and your hardships and your sorrows. He sympathizes with you. A man once said that the Lord Jesus, when he was here in his life and suffered and was tempted in all things and struggled the full force of all those temptations, he took to himself a reservoir of human sympathy, took it to glory with him. And now when we approach him, he can say, I know. I know it's hard. I've been there. And that's what he'll say. He says, I know. I had to persevere. I had to submit my own will to the will of God. Right? Jesus will not comfort or, or, or try to console with a scowl on his head, anger across his brow. Made me think of one of my favorite hymns called Poor Sinner, Dejected with Fear. Poor sinner dejected with fear, unbosom thy mind to the Lamb. In other words, get all these things off your chest. Take them to the Lamb. No wrath on his brow does he wear, nor will he poor mourners condemn. His arm of omnipotent grace is able and willing to save. A sweet and a permanent peace he'll freely and faithfully give. Well, this is the Lord Jesus, a sympathetic high priest, high priest who comes and feels what we feel. So I'm going to stop there. We just dealt with sympathy today. Next time we'll look at this other word that's very similar. But let's think about these things. I mean, I know that at times in, in our Christian life, and, and it's probably, sometimes it probably feels daily, where you have a heart that just wants to close down, right? And not to say that, I mean, there are times where you need to come away from, for a while and rest. <laughs> you need to get recharged somehow. But the Lord is appealing to us to have the strength to have love for one another, bear each other's burdens, weep with them that weep, sympathize with your brethren. Right? Engage into their lives. Don't be isolated. Don't, don't seclude yourself. That's what he's saying here. And I just encourage you, Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3 is always a go-to for me when I feel my love growing cold. Where Paul says, I pray that your love may abound more and more for one another and for all. Just that one prayer. I pray that your love may abound for one another and for all. And just think about that. Loving me, right, for lots of reasons, doesn't come natural to Paige or to, to you. Loving one another doesn't come natural. It's not a native strength within us. It's a love that must come from God. And God is very willing to give it. He's very willing to give it. And so pray these things, that your love may abound. Not just that you'll have some from time to time, but he's talking about abounding love. Abounding love. And it could be for people where you never thought we'd ever really get along. Well, abounding love can take care of that. And the Lord gives it. But you've got to go ask for it. You've got to go to him for it. And he loves to answer those prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
for the sympathy, Lord Jesus, that you show us every time we come to your throne with our trials. We're so thankful that you're a loving Savior. Uh, We're so thankful that we have grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, we pray that we would be sympathetic with one another. We pray that we would have hearts that want to come alongside others and suffer with them, whatever they're going through. Um, And Lord, that we would have discernment in all these things too, Lord, because ultimately we... um, Lord, we, we, we want to encourage each other to get up and run well. Um, but Lord, it also means that, um, yeah, we weep with them that weep. And we rejoice with them that rejoice. Lord, we pray that you'd um, just help us to engage too in people's joys. Lord, the wonderful answers that you are always, always answering as people pray here. Lord, that they would vocalize these things, that we could enter into that, that we can rejoice with those who rejoice. Lord, that people here would tell us the things that are wonderful that you're doing. Lord, the true, the true answers to prayer that you have been working. Lord, that we wouldn't just be a sour bunch. Lord, we'd be a, a place that rejoices always in the Lord for the great things that you do for us. And Lord, um, Lord, if we don't have anything at the moment in our minds that we can think of because of whatever reason, we know that we can always rejoice in you because of Golgotha. We thank you for um, that matchless work. And we thank you, Lord, that it's all that we'll ever need to be right with you forever. To be loved by you, to be cared by you, Um, to be shown the springs of the water of life. (laughs) It was all because of what you did 2,000 years ago. And that'll never change. And we just praise you for this wonderful reality. Lord, for anybody in here today who doesn't know what it is to have your love shed abroad in their hearts, that's perhaps holding on to unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, any of those things, Lord, any of these things that's causing their heart to shrivel up, We pray, Father, that you would just reveal yourself to them. Show them how, Lord, just show them how desperate they really are for you. Show them them who they themselves are. Lord, so often we get bitter because we don't have a right view of ourselves. We don't see that we too were once foolish, disobedient, haters of God. Lord, help us to all have accurate views of ourselves too. Anyway, Lord, all these things we just ask that you would do in us and um, and we'll be careful to give you the glory for all of it. In Jesus' holy name, amen.